Welcome to the Weird Warriors Podcast. I'm Max. I'm Rich. And on this podcast, we will be focusing on the Weird War Tales comic book series published by DC Comics from 1971 to 1983. Today, we are taking a look at Weird War Tales number 13, and I'm just going to let Rich hit you with the cover details because we don't have a retroactive history on this episode. It's unlucky 13. Uh-oh. Woo! Cover details, art by Luis Dominguez. The yellow Weird War logo sits by itself on a field of black. Beneath the title, a chateau with a swastika banner hanging in front of it sits under a pale orange moon. Five man-sized bat creatures swoop down in front of the moon behind the two hapless German sentries on duty. The guard closest to the viewer is an instant away from death. The date of release for this comic is April of 1973, and it's got a lunge into the killjoy. While I'll admit it's a badass look, the swastika banner is completely jacked up. It's a black swastika on a red circle, and that is on a black field. We all know it should be black on white on red, but hey, again, I love it. It looks even more evil than the regular ones do, but <laughs> it ain't right. Comments and commendations, you know, Dominguez does a great job portraying the soon-to-be-dead sentries as merciless brutes. The face of the one closest to you looks like it's carved from stone. I have zero sympathy for what's about to happen to these guys. Lunch! Yeah, absolutely perfect. Um, I am a huge fan of the vampires on this cover. They are awesome. This is the type of vampires I want to see. They're monstrous, animalistic, nasty-looking creatures. They're not Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in Interview with a Vampire, which is fine, but those aren't the kind of vampires I want to see anymore. I want to see some monsters, and these are monsters. And you don't see that often enough anymore. It's, it's too bad this portrayal is not repeated within the pages of the book. But we'll get to that. And we'll get to that with the first story, which, um, hey, I like listening to Rich talk. I know you guys do, so uh, we'll hand it off to him. Okay, first story is called The Diehards, written by Jack Olick. Art by Nestor Redondo. Linz, Eastern Europe, 1941. Despite being in command of the area, seven Nazi soldiers have been found murdered, blood drained from their bodies. Colonel Kurt Broder, master of instilling terror, is brought in to make it end. The mayor of Linz insists that vampires are responsible, but Broder brushes the thought off as nonsense. He orders the hanging of three villagers to prove his commitment to finding those responsible and gives the mayor 24 hours to give up their names. A day passes and the mayor doesn't crack. It was the work of vampires. So 10 villagers are executed, gunned down in the village square. The patient expert on terror becomes impatient as the days pass and not a single villager talks. Whippings follow, 20 executions. Female villagers are hung. The mayor himself is savagely beaten. No one talks. The colonel can't understand why so many people willingly go to their deaths. Finally, the ultimatum. The entire village will be murdered tomorrow if names aren't provided. Dawn. Still, no one comes forward. The villagers dig their own graves and are machine-gunned into them, the mayor included. The Germans bury the victims, confident the guilty have paid. That night, Broder is awakened by a presence in his room. It's the mayor. The colonel is shocked. I saw you killed. You're dead, buried. I saw the machine gun bullets hit you. The mayor replies with, undead. I told you there were vampires here. 
Broder regains his composure. Even if you are a vampire, what can you do? I have 200 men. One call from me, and they'll come and drive a stake through your heart. The mayor gestures to the nearby window. Broder looks and finally understands what terror is when he sees a village full of vengeful vampires tearing through his men. As the mayor lunges for Broder, he confesses, we are all vampires. Killjoy right off the bat. Are they humans in daylight and vampires at night? Dang, how do you sneak up on these guys? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll do my comments and commendations here. I have to echo the Killjoy moment <laughs> as the fact that they were all vampires in that village just makes no damn sense. It's, it's established in the story itself that even the Nazis are aware of the rules for vampires with a stake through the heart and so on. So it just feels like sloppy writing to have those rules ignored without any explanation in order to serve up the requisite twist ending for the horror story. That said, the art is great. The last panel on page seven is especially well done, coloring and all. And I got to say, I, I didn't write this in the script, but it came to mind while we were reviewing the story just now. The escalating number of executions reminds me of a series on Amazon Prime that my wife and I watched a little bit ago, uh, the, a French village, un village français. And that was a tactic that was used by the occupying Nazi army in that village on the show. They would say, oh, well, you're not going to talk after we hang five people? How about 15? And it, that apparently was a strategy that was used by the occupying Nazi forces. So it was kind of cool to see that in this story too. Like, oh, this must have been something they did because it keeps popping up whenever I see stories of an occupying Nazi army. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was. I read about that stuff all the time. You know, you know for every German soldier that is killed, we shall kill 30 civilians, stuff like that. You know, there's stories about of, uh, high-ranking uh, Nazi officials getting ambushed and the entire village gets eliminated. The men get executed. The women and the kids get shipped out to a concentration camp or something like that. Yeah, this is this is definitely the stuff that they did. But yeah, going back to this story, uh, this this was the story I knew you were waiting for. I, I didn't see the ending coming until I was almost there. I'm like, yeah, the fact that there's a vampire around is established early on, and we believe it because that's the nature of the book. Discovering the entire village where vampires was kind of like a, whoa, well played moment. You know, the, the colorist even changed the color of the undead villager's skin at the end. You know, this this pale, pasty color, not not a flesh tone at all, and just just like what you said. So yeah, yeah, kind of a goo, you know, kind of a eh ending, but I, I still I still liked it. So yeah, I, I like I said, the craftsmanship is excellent in every way on this story. Like you said, right down to the coloring, everything, page design, all of it. I think I took the cheap twist ending harder than you because horror is more my genre and I love a good cheesy twist ending, but they have to have internal consistency. And this one was just like, I don't know, they're all vampires. Next job, I'm out, you know? <laughs> so there's our first story and I'll bring us in to our second main feature which is called Old Samurai Never Die, written by Arnold Drake, art by Alex Nino. So right away, I feel like I'm going to be happy. Synopsis of this story is as follows. In an age when medieval cruelty were signs of nobility, Baron Tanaka was among the noblest of men. Oh, man, you had a note in here saying read like Rod Serling. You read, want to do read, that yeah, right now? Read, read like Rod Serling. Yeah, like, I'll, yeah. I'll do it. Like, yeah, yeah, read that. <laughs> In an age when medieval cruelty were signs of nobility, Baron Tanaka was among the noblest of men. <laughs> you mean like 
Yeah, and I'm leaving all that in there, man, because <laughs> people do want the Rod Serling here from you. So look, look, I forgot at, that look, was. Look ahead. The last sentence, you got to do that too then, or, or unless right. you want me to do it. Right. No, no, no. I'll, I'm bringing you in. You do a better Rod than me. That's for sure. That's, that's one impression I've never done. So when told his samurai were protesting the fact they hadn't been paid in two years, Tanaka simply tells his aide, Mabuchi, to give the men full looting rights to the town they were about to attack, which includes ignoring the fate of the women. The town is destroyed, old men and children are killed, and the women are taken. Mabuchi tells Tanaka the looting was only a temporary fix to placate the samurai in the face of an assault on the fortress of Saburo. He hires Akata, the greatest no-theater actor, to put on a magical performance to portray Basutu, prince of samurai. Basutu wants them to act like men and fight like tigers. Money is no object. Tanaka insists. Akata uses fireworks costumes and other effects in a masterful show to whip Tanaka's men into a crazed fervor before the attack. In return for Akata's efforts, Tanaka murders him to ensure his silence. The assault goes forward, but the fortress refuses to fall. Tanaka commands no mercy for Saburo's people. When a messenger boy from Saburo appears and begs the Baron to meet for a conference of peace, Tanaka agrees. He must change into peasant robes to slip through the fighting, however. When a passing samurai of Tanaka's passes the refugee column, he overhears Tanaka call someone a fool for insulting that samurai. Thinking Tanaka was talking to him, the officer pulls the baron out of line. Tanaka reveals his true identity to the samurai, but is not believed. Asking the messenger boy to confirm his story, the boy shockingly claims he's never seen Tanaka in his life. Tanaka pleads for mercy, but as per his standing orders, there is no mercy to be given. Later, as Mabuchi inspects the battle area, he is horrified to see the Baron and the messenger boy hanging by the neck from a beam. And we'll let Rich bring in that last line with Rod, we'll let Rod Serling bring in the last line, rather take it away. Mercy is a commodity you will find on very few supply lists in the Twilight Zone, uh, uh, the weird one. <laughs> Excellent. All right, Killjoy this one, or if you can. Uh, there's no Killjoy, but then again, I never watched Shogun. Uh, but since I had to research no theater, here's a history minute. It originated in the 14th century and centers around music, dance, and drama. Plots draw from legend, history, contemporary events, and literature. Costumes are rich and heavy. Themes often relate to dreams, supernatural worlds, spirits, and ghosts. It was popularized and adopted government patronage by a man named Zimi during the Muromaki period, 1333 to 1573. During the Tokugawa period, 1603 to 1867, the shogunate made no the official ceremonial art. Five main troops survive and perform to this day. So knowing all that, Akata was a good guy to get. Lunging into my comments and commendations, Nino captures the artistic stylings of Nippon really well. The facial expressions, the armor the samurai wear, the dragon Basutu in the no-show. I really like the skeletal samurai host that introduces the story in the first two pages. I, I could stare at that for quite a while. I think Nino did a really good job. 
films. Yeah, agreed on all counts. And fascinating research on no theater, like the N-O-H, no theater. I had never heard of that before I read this comic book. So so that's cool to, to know that it was it was absolutely historically appropriate. So for me, we got another good story that does not rely on the supernatural at all. Like, am I playing against type here? Liking this one better than the one with the village full of vampires? I guess so. But Drake wrote a great, nicely ironic story. And I particularly like the comment about Tanaka being the noblest of men at the start of page two. The line that you read as Rod Serling, or that, you know, we had Rod Serling come in and read for us. Uh, Alex Nino, of course, delivers in every panel, but that page featuring Akada's performance is just easily steals the show for me. He just gets to let loose. It's beautiful. So really excellent follow-up to the first story. In my opinion, even a little better because it's more internally consistent. And, you know, Alex Nino is the man. So second story out of the way, we're jumping over to the letters page, visiting the APO Weird War Tales section. And... I'm going to start it off reading a long one from a guy named Bill Henley Jr. from Worcester, Ohio. This is another whiny reader, guys, and he has, <laughs> he has a lot to say, so settle in. Bill starts off with, Dear Joe, I think that Weird War Tales may have more potential for quality than any DC war comic ever produced, with the exception of the late lamented Enemy Ace. All right. I like Enemy Ace. And oh, I, I love th- it. Yeah, exactly. Ah, okay, so far, right on. I like this guy. And then, <laughs> and then, but then he continues. I think you are capable of making it realize that potential. But judging from Weird War Tales number eight, your first issue, so he's talking to Joe Orlando here, I'm afraid you're moving in a wrong direction. <gasps> in Weird War Tales, I hope to see stories in which the weirdness and the horror spring from the nature of war itself. And from the strange and terrible things war does to men in society, not from supernatural causes or impossible coincidences. I hope to see stories which escape the good guy, bad guy mold, which none of your other series ever really escape. The courage and heroism of good men or the brutality and treachery of evil ones is still a valid subject, but I want to see the goodness and the evil of individual men on any side in any war, not the goodness of us and the evil of them. The horrors of war which you depict should be shown to fall on everyone involved with war, not just characters who seem to deserve them. I do not want to read another standard hero-villain war book in which villains are done in by ghosts or goblins, instead of by Easy Company or by the Haunted Tank. Nor do I want to see a standard supernatural horror book with a wartime setting. Yeah, he sounds like he's showing up to the right place here. And he's got two more paragraphs, people. In Weird War Tales number eight, All three stories revolve around supernatural vengeance, the victims of which are Germans acting as war comic villains in the time-honored way. He parenthetically points out, I hold no sympathy for Nazi Germany, but Germany is hardly the only villain in the history of warfare, and villainy defined in terms of any particular nation is not what Weird War Tales needs. The artwork is fine, and the scripting adequate, but they cannot disguise the fact that you are throwing away the unique potential of this magazine. Perhaps to keep sales up and to keep the pages of a monthly magazine filled, you have to lean partially on the traditional patterns. But please, if your idea of what Weird War Tales ought to be is anything like mine, do as much as you can to fulfill it. If the real possibility of Weird War Tales can be realized in even one story per issue, you would definitely have something to be proud of. Bill Henley Jr., Worcester, Ohio. Jerk. Now, he didn't say jerk, but I did because, man, like, 
uh, write exactly the kind of comic I want, and I will give you backhanded compliments and downright insults throughout this ramblingly long letter. Just go write a book, man. Go go do your own thing. Like, what are you doing here? Like, instead of writing a book that is going to have the occasional monster and stuff when it's clearly marketed that way, do this book that I created in my own mind. Again, another example of fandom never changing. I, I'll read uh, Joe Orlando's response and then I'll let Rich read something more pleasant. So Joe says back to Bill, Dear Bill, you raise an interesting point and one with which we agree. To some extent, yes, we have no desire to have every story be a vengeance story against the Nazis. By now, you should be able to see that, but that does not rule out the inclusion of such stories. If the plot is interesting enough, to aim Weird War Tales towards one reader to the exclusion of others would be a mistake. Rather, we would like to get in as many kinds of stories as we can so as to appeal to as broad an audience as possible. By following that idea, we think that we can keep the stories fresh, different, and constantly surprising. And Joe was way too diplomatic in that response. So, Rich, save us from Bill Henley Jr. (laughs) Okay, I am going to read a missive from Gerard Triano from Elmont, New York. And he says, Dear Joe, you are doing a sensational job on all the mystery supernatural books, including Weird War Tales, your current issue, featured a fine collection of stories by Robert Conagher as well as some top flight art. The fact that each story effectively shows the idiocy of war is exciting and interesting and a tribute to Mr. Conagher. Normally having a host in this kind of mag hinders its overall effect, but here it works beautifully. Having death introduce and close the mag adds to its quality immeasurably. Keep up the excellent work and continued good luck. Joe doesn't respond to this letter, Uh, so I will. Uh, He's not wrong about death being a great host, and that hosts usually hinder the overall effort. But that said, I've read a boatload of Sergeant Rock stories where Rock starts and finishes his tale of Easy Company. Those are always solid. I think Enemy Ace has done it a couple of times. It's, it's probably a Conagher thing. I don't know. Con- I mean, I never met Conagher. There, there's a guy I wish I could have met. I wish I, wish I could have gotten some signatures on, off of him. Yeah, I mean, Conagher for his output and in, in most of his career, I I, I respect. I, I Just from what I know about him later on, being a misogynist dick, probably could have skipped meeting him. But you know, getting his work signed, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I've, I've loved most of his stuff that we've seen here. Like, the work is good. That's indisputable. Pointing out that these hosts are cheesy or whatever when, like you said, Rock and all these other people have acted as hosts. And with Conagher, it's probably he grew up, or not grew up, but he came up reading things like EC comics and stuff like that where hosts were definitely a standard part of all their books. Like you had names for the hosts. They were actual characters themselves. So I'm, I'm pretty sure he liked those books because you see a lot of that format in all the stuff he works on. So pretty good uh, Weird War Tales APO section this time around. We got, you know, the one uh, pushing his glasses up. Please do the book exactly my way, guys. Well, you see. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we've got someone who's a lot more reasonable and nice. So we are going to move on to the final original story in the book and this one is going to be all rich's bag take it away losers luck written by mike Polowski and george cashdan art by tony disaniga tony d 2049 world war three has been ravaging the planet for over a decade computers are now in control of the war rooms on either side either by a glitch or by design one day nuclear fire ravages every inch of the planet 
the pollution slowly saps the lives of those lucky enough to survive. But rescuers come and collect orphans under the age of 10, ignoring pleas from those that don't fit the criteria. Twin brothers, Jeremy and David Wells, are brought to a massive underground city. David is strong and eagerly assumes they're to be trained to continue the fight, while Jeremy is smart and skeptical of that need. The months and years pass. They're put to work farming and are tested athletically and academically. Jeremy can't compete with David physically, and David is out of his league against Jeremy's intelligence. It's noticed that at age 18, the orphans are judged. Some return to the surface, presumably to fight in the war, while others are chosen to remain underground forever. When the Wells turn 18, David is shocked to discover he's to stay behind while Jeremy goes to the surface. He snaps, knocks out his brother with a blow to the head, and takes his place. Escorted to the surface, David asks why David had been chosen to stay. He's shocked to be told that they only want the strongest and fittest. Intelligence is of no use to them, and thus he was expendable. There's plenty of room outside for those smart enough to survive. Protesting loudly about the mistake, David's thrown outside, where he's quickly overcome by the pollution. No Killjoy was here, obviously. And didn't we just have a story two podcasts ago that ended up in the distant future, 2047, with a war that was just entering its 10th brutal year? Well, according to this, World War III is going to start in the late 2030s and enter a second decade. You heard it here first. Start digging that shelter. You know, for a generation that brought us Star Trek, the 70s sure had some dim hopes for the future. Everyone's going to die! <laughs> it's also interesting how they say pollution when I'm pretty sure radiation would have fit nicely. But hey, I just got to say there's, there's one panel in this story that just demands its own special, I hesitate to say, shout out. But there's a scene in it where they're doing farming in the underground city and David goes... I feel just like the 20th century wetbacks we used to read about in our history books. And I'm like, whoa, what? <laughs> I, I had to read that twice. I'm like, well, good thing they weren't growing any cotton. I'm like, oh my God, holy 1970s comic book. Woo. Yep. <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, I'll I'll circle back to that. But um, you know, <laughs> right off the top, uh, I want to point out we have some more super sci-fi uniforms worn by the survivors, just like in issue eleven, and I, I, you know, especially translucent capes, baby. I love that touch. There's no point to it, but a lot of the people running the underground shelter are wearing these see-through colored translucent capes. Just like we're living underground, but we're not giving up on fashion. <laughs> love it. It's all style, baby. <laughs> I love that so much. That trend is, is one of my favorites. So yeah, the sci-fi of the 70s did seem to have a more dystopian bent than that of the 50s and 60s, which is where Star Trek hails from. And it, you had like Planet of the Apes, stuff like that. Like, I guess these things cross paths, but there was a counter utopian vibe going through sci-fi at the time where you had things like Star Trek showing this great future. And then you had Planet of the Apes, stuff like Mad Max, all this post-apocalyptic stuff coming up that was sort of a response to it. So this fits in with what I remember about 70s sci-fi. So yes, indeed, for the second episode in a row, we get to ring that old comics folks bell nice and loud. Yikes. I mean, that was a bad one. So that aside, 
And it takes some effort to push that aside. This was a fine, <laughs> yeah, this was a fine story with a good twist ending and a sci-fi weird element that was actually internally consistent. Pay attention, Jack Olek, writer of the first story in this book. The art, as you mentioned, was by Tony D. So it is freaking great. I'll just single out the panel where David turns on his twin, delivering a super wide arc judo chop to his brother's head and knocking him out. Uh, and that thing was like, that's the widest arc I've ever seen someone take in a swing. Normally, Tony's violence is very realistic, but this looked like Captain Kirk level judo chop. So I appreciated that. Also, I did find it a bit weird that one of the kids knew how deep underground they'd been taken just from the feel of the atmosphere and pressure, even if that kid later turned out to be the egghead of the twins. Still, very high marks for me. This is like tied with the samurai story, in my opinion. It, there's nitpicks here and there, but they're both great. Two thirds of this was an absolute hit for me. And with that, we will move on to our spotlighted ads for the issue. This was hard. I had to flip through the book a, a few times looking for something that spoke to me. I finally settled on scary life-size monster ghost. Shouldn't that be scary dead-size monster ghost? And which is it? A monster or a ghost? Or is it a ghost of a monster? I digress. Anyway, scary life-size monster ghost obeys your commands. Over seven feet tall, only one dollar. Rises, jumps, darts, and floats in the air. Eyes glow in the dark. This chiller thriller acts as though alive. Make him obey your commands. Even you are as far as 100 feet away. Make him dance to music too. A real terror. Giant size. Horrible and sinister. Of durable polyethylene. <laughs> Amaze your friends. And oh, by the way, it comes with peeping skeleton hands. Free with order. Truly amazing. They move and glow in the dark too. Pops right out of your pocket and crawls up your shirt, sweater, coat, etc. Money back guaranteed, if not thrilled, at only 35 cents for postage and handling. Oh, yeah. I'd like to see how well the skeleton heads pop right out of my pocket and crawl up my shirt. Money back guaranteed, if not thrilled? How about I just dodge the inevitable disappointment and spend the money on six 20-cent comic books now? Max. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like the better uh, the better option. Again, I would I gotta look to see if anyone ever ordered these things and and got them and put pictures up of them online. It has to be out there. I, I just have to remember to look for it because man, I need to see what these things really look like when they arrive. So as you said, this was a tough one to find a good ad from it. It just wasn't as packed with with the outstanding ads as previous issues. But I ended up settling on this like half page ad that says, "Wear the bag." of conservation. Now it's another one of these that I tend to focus on where it's advertising a new career alternative for the unfortunate adult that is still reading comic books. So again, half page ad that says wear the badge of the future in conservation. Get free facts about exciting outdoor careers. And it shows these badges for different entities, like different careers in outdoor management. So like wildfire, uh, wildlife management, game and farm, game management, all this stuff. So it hasn't broken up by which career you want to train for wildlife service, forest and park, fisheries, professional hunters, and in the private industry. It, it notes one thing here, badges shown are simulated. So don't think we're going to send you official badges. You have to earn those. But again, this is just another thing like it's a bunch of facts on the industry they're going to send you. This isn't anything where you're directly applying for a job. This is just info about careers and working outside. And we don't need no stinking 
that just exactly <laughs> it's it's yet another one of these ads that is trying to open up career options for some adult that is somehow still sitting around reading comics because how sad is that and my, one of my favorite ones that's in there is a mammal control agent that's what it's called I've never heard of that, but that sounds like something that would be in a Jack Kirby OMAC story. You know, I'm, I work for Mammal Control. <laughs> That's pretty wide ranging. Yeah, I just- so you're uh, a cop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, but, but you're a cop that could like, you know, you, you could decide to bust a house cat or, you know, or a cow or anything that's mammalian, you know? Uh, aren't bears mammals? Give that a shot, officer. Go ahead. A dolphin is bothering me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're going to get that call too. Like just so many, a big game census assistant. There's a story, there's there's all these testimonials in the ad. Here's what students say. There's Count's Big Game from Chopper, you know, and I had the experience of a lifetime. The game Fish and Parks Department called me and wanted me to fly helicopter and count big game with them. We counted elk and deer. We saw quite large numbers of coyote as well as a number of fox. You're going to fly in a helicopter. You're going to do all this cool stuff. If you're an outdoor man at heart again gonna be a man right this, this is the 70s you know get the facts on exciting career opportunities and conservation for you send for free conservation career kit including 28 page career fact book three month subscription to conservation topics plus exciting report jobs for sportsmen how and where to get them no cost no obligation now or ever so that sounds pretty suspicious like is this one of the original data mining projects where they just want your name and age and address and all that so they can send you a bunch of other junk mail probably <laughs> so that was my highlighted ad and we're gonna move on from that from our sort of ad sparse issue to the section that we call got any last words okay uh, the only killjoy that I got was a coloring gaff on the cover. How boring. No, actually, I, I, I actually like this book. Uh, two out of the three stories I enjoyed with Loser's Luck, narrowly edging diehards is my fave. But it's funny, I struggled with finding an ad or even a letter that easily for just, just to pick out and, and talk about. Yeah, when, they, when for me, the highlight letter is a guy who just goes on paragraph after paragraph making me want to slap him. That's, that's pretty rough. So Again, though, pretty good issue, even if, as I keep harping, the, in, the internal logic of the first story really annoys the heck out of me, especially since it was far less cool than the cover led me to think it would be, grumble. Uh, <laughs> the two other cool tales more than make up for it. This is still an excellent issue. Nothing bad to say about it, really. So we'll move on to the dead actually, letter office. Oh, whoop, Actually, go ahead, I, got, go um, I got one other thing. I want to throw at you really quick. I didn't tell you about any of this before because I wanted your honest reaction to be recorded. Of course, you have edit power. If you don't like any of this stuff, no one that's listening to me right now will ever hear this. So uh, that sounds like that sounds like work. On we go. I actually um, went back down to uh, Sue Glansman's house uh, last weekend and just you know paid her a visit and everything. And you know, she's still raving about our visit and everything. She's telling all her friends about us. She had a great time. She can't wait to see us again. All this other stuff. 2021 has been a little bit of a rough year for us. Uh, we had two dogs when the year started. We lost them both in a three-month period of time. One's heart gave out and the other one had lymphoma. And we had, to, we had to put her down. And so we were dogless for the first time in about 20 years, literally. And we had just adopted a new dog, uh, Molly. She's a Chihuahua pug mix. Yes, they're called Chugs. Cute little thing. And so I brought her with me down to visit uh, 
Zooglands. Loved her to death, obviously. Sue's going to be going on a trip soon, so I was doing all the stuff that we were joking about before, you know, about me helping her out with stuff. I was setting up timers for her lights. I was fixing her weed whacker. I was cleaning out three inches of dead bugs from her street light. <laughs> Finally, someone found a use for you. That's fantastic. So, um, so we did all of that, and then one of the other things I did was I sat down at her kitchen table with stacks and stacks of Sam's art and started sorting. Yes, the look on Max's face right now on the count on, on the camera is one to be believed. Yeah, I'm not, saw, je- I'm not jealous of that at all. I saw uh-huh. concept art of Atu and Torok and notes to um, to the uh, to correct uh, a rifle on two different pages that have been drawn wrong or something. Wait a minute, saw- you saw Torok art by Sam? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't like you very much. Original art of Vampirella. Four more Batmans, including one. You know that famous picture of Hitler on a horse? He's like a white knight, and he's flying like the Nazi banner behind him and stuff like that. Sam did that with Batman kind of like leering around the banner like he's about to punch Hitler in the face. Like it, it's, that's a, that was a phenomenal piece of work I saw. Original Lonely War Willie Schultz art. Concept uh, art for the USS Stevens. I got a picture of the published work next to the concept art you know, which was, which was pretty cool for me to uh, uh, dig up. The original cover art to A Sailor Story, Wind, Dreams, and Dragons with, with the kamikaze dragon, you know, superimposed on each other. I was literally bouncing my head off of Sue's kitchen table and she, <laughs> because I wanted this stuff so bad and I couldn't ask for it, right? She was laughing hysterically. She loved every minute of it. Weird War concept art for um, the story he did in 1997 for The Elopement, which is a uh, Weird War story about oh, Andersonville that he did with, uh, with uh, uh, Joe Lansdale. And that's that's one because it's it's uh, we're going to be doing all the um, Weird War miniseries and one shots and stuff like that coming up. So we will do this story eventually. There's an original Sam Landsman Kilroy was here drawing. I saw. I'm like, <laughs> well, that's perfect. There was a note that was on the back of a piece of paper that just, all it was said was, "You bastard." <laughs> and sue said he like you know someone pissed him off and he just wrote that and jotted that down real quick and, and held it up to someone at a con or something that was pissed him off. <laughs> so just digging through all this stuff was just a freaking time and a half i was talking to sue about it she's still efforting trying to get us into the cubert school and stuff like that she would love to have us back including you to further dig through the stuff and just sort stuff out like okay this is all the a2 stuff this is all the Stephen stuff. This is all the Jonah Hex stuff, just to make it easier for her to just you know figure out you know what's going on. So we did all of that, and uh, something else that we did was Sue had made a comment about she wanted one of those uh, World War II veteran uh, grave markers for for Sam, and I jumped right on that. You know, got a nice solid bronze one, and she's like, "Oh my, oh my God, how much do I owe you?" I'm like, "You nothing." I would, I, ref, I would, ref, I refuse to take a penny for this. So we went to Sam's grave, and we planted this thing. It's got the, old, it's the, got the classic um, the ruptured duck you know, emblem on it. You know, it, it's quick backstory. It's an eagle. But when the war ended, so many of the service members didn't have civilian clothing anymore because they'd been in the service for so long. And it was a patch that you could sew onto your uniform that, that designated to anyone that, you know, you were a deserter or what, that you had been discharged and, you know, you're, you're, you're good to go. And the joke was, it looked, it was, it was, they called it the ruptured duck because as soon as you were discharged, you took off like a ruptured duck. <laughs> so, so this marker is at Sam's graves now. So it's, it, I, I find it intensely humbling personally that a World War II veteran marker 
that I bought is at Sam's grave. And I took, I took pictures of all of this stuff. And so I just wanted to update you all that on all that. And as a final thought, what going back to going uh, all of the artwork at uh, Sue's house in the process of digging through all the artwork, I found a small stack of original Jonah Hex inked profile, uh, inked headshots that he had done for cons to sell and then never had. There's about six or seven of them. Happy birthday, Max. What? <laughs> yep. You got one of them. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. yeah. For people who don't know, we're recording this. <laughs> we're recording this episode on the eve of my 50th birthday. So uh, that is that is freaking fantastic. You, you're gonna be you're gonna be getting that when we get together at the at the at Terrificon you know, next weekend. So. Yeah, the Road Warriors are riding again, people. We're we're going to <laughs> we're going to Terrificon in Connecticut next weekend. But yeah, you were a bad, bad man. You held, <laughs> you held back on me when, when we got to retroactive history and you saved it for now. Yeah, yeah, you're you're an awful person. <laughs> <laughs> well, you always said you weren't a signature guy. You were a drawing sketch guy. Absolutely. And, and there was there was there was, he had pencil ones and ink ones. And I'm like, I think you'd like an ink one better, you know. So I just got the got the ink one and stuff. And there'll be a picture that ends up, you know, in the album for when this event cut when this episode comes out. So. Oh, that's that's amazing, man. Because I was psyched to get back on the con scene now that we can do it again. So I can get I can get some sketches. It's been like just almost year two years yeah since i've been able to go to a con and get a sketch from somebody cool so you you've already got me ahead of the game there you got and a posthumous in, sketch <laughs> in such a fantastic way because i love jonah hex i love sam I, that, that's one that i wished i i would have gotten while sam was alive and so there you go i man like i'm 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 gonna be owing you for this for a bit. That's that's bad news, people. <laughs> Good thing I do all the editing, so I already I already do some drudge work. But Rich writes all the scripts, so I guess we're even. I don't Post really want photos. And yeah, I don't really want to start racking up points because then I'll have to do more stuff. So <laughs> hey, speaking of me doing stuff. We'll get on to the section we call the dead letter office, where we talk about all the likes and shares and comments that we've received for past episodes and whatnot. And this one is going to focus on episode six, which covered Weird War Tales number six, the all robots issue. We got Facebook likes, etc., from Peter Watson of the Earth 2 podcast, Ken Boutillier, creator of the independent comic Zindagi, which I've talked a lot about on my blog, Max Reads Comics, which I haven't mentioned here on the show very much, but hey, Max Reads Comics blogspot.wordpress.com. I don't even know the own address of my own little blog. So over on Twitter, we got likes and stuff like that from Steve Flores from the 21st Century Boys, which is the Crawford Family Podcast, Glitch Technoid, Monsters, Madness, and Magic at M3 Podcast, Professor Frenzy, Dave's Comic Heroes Blog, Radioactive Dinosaur, which I love that, <laughs> Kirk Spencer, Chris Lydon, Martin Gray, Sir Martin of Gray, from the uh, Too Dangerous for a Girl blog, Fan Film Fridays podcast, Days of High Adventure podcast, Coffee and Comics blog, all three of those created and hosted by Clinton Robinson, Doc Strange, better known as Billy Delicious, Yip the Mechanical Fox, again, cool name, Chris Selby, <laughs> an account by the name of Spock the Computer, Destroy It. These, these people are making these names for me now. So Sergeant America, James Dump the Trump. Gotta say, I like that. Law Dog, curator of the Law Dog RPG Museum. Dendo Star, Michael Odom, comic script writer, Darren, 
Darren Murphy, who has changed his handle to Hellblazer Guy. That's one of his favorite characters. Sean Foster, Jimmy Goodson, codename Gary Seven, Luke Giaconetti from my beloved Earth Destruction Directive podcast about giant monster movies. Love it. Mazzy's Papa, that's M-A-Z-Y-Z Papa. PC Dela Cruz, Mike Morgan, Old Man Roy, Dr. Kittens, again, names being made for me, Paul DeBetta, Woody Zahn, Future Potentate, fantastic, Ricardo Maldonado, comic who loves comics, so it's a stand-up comic who loves comic books, Brett Nicky Farouk, that's N-Y-K-I-F-O-R-U-K, drums with a Z, N, like an N, comics, drums and comics, Bill at Spy Vinyl, big friend of the show and, and a great guy to follow on Twitter. Chris Israel Baker, Deebs, D-E-E-B-S, Mark Reznicek, the drummer for the band The Toadies, who um, is a huge comic fan and uh, is always liking and retweeting our stuff, at, at, which is surreal to me because I've seen The Toadies in concert. They opened for All in New York City. Rich knows I like the band All. <laughs> and... Uh, we got some comments from 21st Century Boys. They said, really enjoyed the episode. That cover graced the Showcase Presents collection, one that I am still looking for. Now, what the Showcase Presents series was, because they've since canceled it, was these big phone book black and white reprints where you got like 500 pages of comics for like 15, 20 bucks. I have a ton of them, but I never got my hands on the Weird War collection. They short printed it and now it's online for like, you know, 150 bucks. Uh, so I, I, you know, we talk about a great reader copy to have sitting around, especially when it was cheap of black and white reprints of Weird War, but now it would cost more than buying the original issues. So I feel him on that one. Codename Gary Seven said about the cover, he said Sterling Holloway was half man, half machine. Who knew? And I feel like he, he shared a picture of Sterling Holloway, this actor I wasn't familiar with, with his comment, and it looks exactly like the ripped up disguised robot on the cover of issue six. So it looks like the photo ref that Joe used for that GI that was secretly a robot on the cover. That was an amazing catch by Codename Gary Seven. That was really cool. And Darren, the Hellblazer guy, says, this was the first comic I ever bought as a kid at my local flea market. So like no pressure on us to do a good job on that one, right? <laughs> the episode was already recorded and I'm like, oh, well, I hope we did it justice, buddy, because it's, it's already done. But how cool is that? That that's, that's the first comic that Darren ever bought. And then we got Luke Giaconetti coming in and giving us a comment. He says, great episode as always, guys. He's too kind. You made reference to the original GI robot. Now that was me, I think. I said that this might be the original quote-unquote GI robot on the cover and he says by the time this issue was released we had gotten two GI robots in Star Spangled War Stories as part of the war that time forgot so a GI robot was not a completely new concept and he says hashtag make no make war no more but you know high five love it and uh, you know so I commend Luke for coming in and giving us I think our first listener killjoy <laughs> like, you, you you get the you get the you get the badge right there, man. No prize. Yeah, right there. It's like <laughs> you, listener killjoy. You know, first blood, first shot fired. It goes to Luke. It's very yeah, fitting. I, I I probably knew that, but some of these comics, I'll be honest, I haven't read in twenty, thirty years and stuff. And if it's not on the cover, if I, as I'm flipping through, you know, the long box looking for stuff, I forgot, won't know. 
something. So yeah, yeah it, you know, that's how it is, you know. But like, yeah, everyone, everyone always talks about Jake one, Jake two, and stuff like that yeah. you know, towards the end of the run and everything. Well, but, that's what uh, I was thinking of too. I was thinking, you know, to to be pedantically rebut on Luke's <laughs> comment, I will say I was thinking of like the GI robot that was named as such. But you know, he's he's talking about the fact that DC published stories with robots serving as GIs. So I give it to him. He wins. I could try to fight back, but uh, but, but he wins. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that one goes to points. Go to Luke on that one. I just want to say, remember to write us at our Gmail address. It's weirdwarriorspodcast at gmail.com because man, I, I love doing the dead letter office, but I am not the best person when it comes to uh, research and keeping track of things. That's why we got rich. That's why the show exists. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I'm trying to make sure I see any likes, any shares, any comments. But if you write us at the Gmail address, I've got a place that it's contained and I can go look at it. And so far, nobody has written us at the Gmail address. And I guess that's probably because I haven't mentioned it that often. So weirdwarriorspodcast at gmail.com. Write us. We are dying to have something in the inbox. Uh, we, we, appreciate that anyone listens to this show that people are enjoying it at all it's it's a trip for us i'm glad people are actually digging it we're having a blast so anyone who liked all our rod sterling references throughout this episode stay tuned folks next episode is going to be one of our special issues this special missions pardon and yep we are going the full-blown rod sterling route we are doing a twilight zone comic book so get your rod on oh oh god yeah that's staying in um but as soon as i said i'm like oops <laughs> that's staying in tune in for some some hot rod action well you know that would sound like an old charlton hot rod comic which is a whole different podcast that we could do but i, I like the idea of doing a teaser at the end man very 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 nice i like that we, we can add that to our scripts you know them, yeah. teaser well, well yeah we could do that like because this stuff is actually planned ahead of time again because i'm not the one in charge of everything there's actually a plan that's that's very different for me i'm still getting used to it so until next time i'm max i'm rich we are the weird warriors and this is the weird warriors podcast and we promise to make war no more